Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. More than 65 million of us right now in this country are serving as a family caregiver. Maybe you're taking care of aging parents, special needs kids, somebody with a trauma, somebody with a disease, somebody with alcoholism, somebody with addiction, somebody with mental illness. The list is long, and the number of caregivers is growing of people who are doing this without pay, without training, just armed with love and a sense of duty and responsibility and sometimes a goofy sense of humor like mine. I hope you have a sense of humor as you do this, and hopefully by listening to this program, you will see that it's okay to to laugh and to have a good time and to be joyful even in the midst of this. We got plenty of tears. Do you laugh? Do you cut up? I constantly tease Gracie, and we just live life. I mean, we're living with all kinds of craziness. I I was at the hospital with her down in Denver a couple weeks ago. We had to go down there for some exams and tests and so forth, and we're facing some other things. But we had this series of, of appointments and consultations. We had one that was like right after lunch, and then she had a CT scan that was scheduled for 6 p.m. that night. Now, we're staying across the street from the hospital in a hotel. And I just didn't want to have to haul Gracie back across the street and then come back. And, you know, it it's cumbersome and tiresome for her, painful for her. So we headed down to the CT area at the hospital and to see if we could get, um, you know, pushed up on the docket. And the lady was very nice. She said, I'm getting ready to leave, but I'm putting you down. I think we could do this. My replacement will be here shortly. Why don't you guys go down and have a cup of coffee? I want to see if I can put this through and just let him know when you come back. And so we went down and got some coffee, which on a side note is never as easy as you think, because when there's a menu, Gracie wants to read the menu and then she wants to combine things on the menu to form a new menu. What I like to refer to as the Gracie menu, where since they have a kitchen, or since they have the equipment, why not combine it the way I want it? Is kind of her thought process, and I'm like, just order from the menu. I, I even when we go to McDonald's, she wants to read the menu. I go to McDonald's, I know the menu forwards backwards. I can just name it. I can get behind the counter and work. I, I understand the menu at McDonald's. It has not changed drastically over the years. There's some things they keep adding that are ancillary, but to the core McDonald's user. Yeah, the menu's still the same. Not with Gracie. She wants to, well, can you add this to this salad or can you do this? And so I'm sitting there at the coffee shop just, you know, banging my head on the on the counter while she does her thing. And the the, the poor barista behind the counter is looking, you know, that's my life. So we got the coffee she wanted, and it was uh it was quite good, I must say. And we headed back down. And there's a new guy at the counter, just like the woman had said. And so I went up to this young man. And I said, I was told that if we gave you $5 and a picture of B. Arthur, we could get in a little early for this CT scan. Well, number one, <laughs> and I said it with a straight face. And Gracie's over there rolling her eyes at me. And this guy's looking at me like <laughs> I'm just from another planet. And I didn't care because it made me laugh. It didn't really make her laugh that much, but it made me laugh. She she didn't laugh because it wasn't funny. Let me be fair. She didn't laugh 
because she's used to this and it's tiresome to her. But I promise you, if you got her still and quiet, you say, Gracie, was that funny? She would say, yeah, it was funny. I just, you know, I've heard it all. (laughs) But I figured, you know, we spend so much time in hospitals and doctor's offices and imaging places and labs. If I stop living life and being who I am, and Gracie stopped being who she is in these places, what kind of life would we have? We're just who we are. We've grown used to this. Yes, these are serious places where serious things happen, but it's also a job site for people. It's a job for people. And they, you know, just like you at your workplace, they want to be able to enjoy their day, and they get enough misery there. Speaking of misery, I always find the airport to be a challenging place, particularly when you have somebody that is disabled pushing through the TSA and, and uh, particularly at the Denver airport. And I'm sorry, whoever's the senior guy at the TSA at the Denver airport, if you're listening to this program, there's some opportunities for improvement. Let me just say that. Okay. There's some opportunities for improvement. And I struggle going through there. But by the time I get to the gate, you know, I'm a little bit tired. And, and, and we were flying back Southwest. They have a straight flight from Denver to Bozeman. And the people at Southwest are always so great. And I, I, I just I appreciate their humor and all the other things they do to make the flight enjoyable. Flying is not what it used to be. And Gracie, by the way, still dresses up. I do okay, but she actually dresses up to fly. She knows it's old school, but she doesn't care. She said, my grandmother used to always say, you, you look nice when you go out in public and on planes and so forth. And so she does. But the folks at Southwest are always very, very kind to us. And she boards first and then exits last. She's, we're always the last ones off the plane, but she's always the first on. She requires just a little bit extra time to get on. And so we're going down the jetway, and I usually have the bags. Now, let me give you some background on this. Gracie is the only person I know that has a wheelchair with a trailer hitch on it. She requires so much carry-on and and paraphernalia that goes with her. And, I, and I'm like her Sherpa, and I'm carrying all these things. And I was so proud of her. And if you ever get a chance to meet her, I want you to tell her how proud you are of her, that we were able to consolidate two nights' worth of stuff for her into a carry-on bag, a large purse for her, and a small laptop bag for me. And we were able to do it. That took... 30-something years of conditioning to help her learn to pack light. Now, that doesn't sound like very much, but you try carrying that while pushing a wheelchair, okay? It could get a little bit gnarly. And I'll have all the bags stacked. So, like, I have a roller bag, and then I'll have Gracie's other bag, or then maybe I could even fit a third, but I'll wrap that around my neck if I have to. And then I'll wheel that bag with my left hand, and with my right hand, I'll hold Gracie's hand, and I'll drag her through the airport when she's in a wheelchair and so she's you know rolling we're getting a pretty good clip too i mean her hair's blowing in the breeze particularly on those marble floors instead of the carpet but then there's those clueless people aimlessly rolling around i'm saying on your left or on your right you know and, and get out of the way and so um gracie thought about putting a, a harpoon on the front of it but i thought no that's not good i'm just kidding so we're at the gate at the southwest uh, uh gate Officer was so kind and said, can I help you with your bags? 
Well, immediately, and I don't know if I'll probably get in trouble for saying this on the air, I referenced a movie that maybe some of you have seen. <laughs> There's a great scene. <laughs> I'm sorry. In Young Frankenstein, <laughs> when, when, when Gene Fowler's character said to Marty Feldman's character, Igor, he says, you get the bags. <laughs> you want some help with the bags? And he said, you get the blonde, I'll get the one with the turban. <laughs> and if you haven't seen it, don't worry about it. But it was, I, I used that line and I said that to the Southwest. She said, do you want some help with the bags? I said, you get the blonde, I'll get the one with the turban. <laughs> and it made me laugh. Gracie, not so much. The Southwest attendant had no clue to what I was saying, but it made me laugh and it helped make a difficult time a little bit more tolerable for me and so I don't even know why I'm sharing this with you guys you're probably looking at me like what's the matter with you (laughs) but I'm used to that phrase people have asked me that over the years I've been a caregiver for over 36 years and I've been through my share of airports and struggling with wheelchairs and everything else and if I want to laugh and say something goofy to the gate officer at an airport or if I want to (laughs) say something stupid to a guy that's scheduling CTs, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. It's okay to live life. It's okay to laugh. And you know what else? It's okay for you to be safe. And we're going to talk about that when we come back from the break. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. Do you know over the last two years, Southwest Louisiana has faced multiple storms, including Hurricanes Laura, Delta, and Zeta. 8 Days of Hope sent our rapid response teams to help in these areas after Hurricane Laura hit Lake Charles and again after the flooding in 2021. Well, today we're excited to announce that our 18th rebuilding trip will take place in Lake Charles from December 3rd through December 10th. Thousands of volunteers will gather from around the country to love and serve this community by helping them repair their homes that were affected by these disasters. We're going to focus on roofing and drywall, painting, electrical work, flooring, and so much more. We can't wait to see what God is going to do. So there's a couple ways you can help with this mission. First, pray. Pray that God will speak through our actions to each family and make himself known. Second, consider volunteering. It's free, and we provide the food and the lodging. Hey, go to our website, 8daysofhope.com, read the FAQs, and you can volunteer right there. Again, that's 8daysofhope.com. Here's Dr. Ben Witherington from the American Family Studios documentary, The God Who Speaks. The fact that early Christianity has texts in an oral culture is in itself remarkable. The fact that it has 27 different texts indicates that this this early Christianity was led by a social elite that was literate. The leaders of the early Christian movement were literate, unlike the vast majority of the population. The movement was led by more socially elite people like Paul, who had been well-educated and could write even in forms of Greek rhetoric. So the notion that early Christians were sort of uneducated ignoramuses is a myth. Visit thegodwhospeaks.org. 
Well, you don't have to worry. Well, you don't have to worry. If you hold on to Jesus' hand, we'll all be safe from Satan. When the thunder rolls, just gotta help keep the devil Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. That is my wife, Gracie, and it's good to hear her cutting some new things and getting back in the studio. So I'm looking forward to sharing more of that with you down the road. Hopeforthecaregiver.com, hopeforthecaregiver.com. Let us know how you're doing. Let us know what's on your mind and uh, We'll be glad to talk about it on the air if you ask us to, if you want us to. I wanted to address something. I had a conversation with somebody this week, a listener, who reached out, and we ended up having a conversation about this topic. She's got some family dynamics that are pretty intense and involves a brother who's had a lengthy history of drug abuse. She's making some decisions, but she's you know, feeling all the things that we all feel in situations like that when you have to make the hard decisions. You feel guilty. You feel kind of alone in that. You feel all the different things. You 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 know the drill. You know what goes on with us as caregivers and the conflicting feelings we have. However, she is very unsettled in this. And I asked her, I said, what is what is the goal for you? We talked about that a little bit, and we finally landed on this place where her safety is paramount. She doesn't feel safe. And she's got this house with her mother. She owns the house. Her mother lives with her, but her brother's also been there, and he comes and goes as he pleases, and she can't seem to get him out of there. And you know in this day and age how hard it is to evict someone. And she is, her mother has significant dementia, and it looks like it may be time to go into a memory care unit, and she's going to do that and then sell the house. And that way she doesn't have to go through the eviction process, but she's going to make sure her mother's cared for. And then she wants out. I mean, she wants to be done with her brother and another sibling and not have that drama, knowing that her mother's safe, that she's not at the mercy, and they can't come and go in an assisted living like they do at this house. But the bottom line is she doesn't feel safe. And I assured her that her safety is paramount. Happiness is not the goal. We're not going to feel good about a lot of these things. And the goal is not to be happy or comfortable or any of those things. But safety is non-negotiable for you as a caregiver. And that means your financial safety, your emotional safety, your physical safety, all of those things are absolutely critical to you as a caregiver. Because if you're not safe, how can you be a good caregiver? If your situation is precarious financially, how can this continue? Now, that doesn't mean you have to be wealthy, but that does mean you have to find solid ground. And sometimes that means scaling way back and reducing your debt load, uh, reducing your outflow. As we talked about last week on the program, 
simplifying your life, looking at things that you really just don't need. What do you absolutely have to have? And then how can you cut from anything else? Understand that when you're a caregiver, you're more or less in survival mode all the time. And your situation is tenuous. If you have the physical safety issues going on, that has to come first. You've got to physically be safe. And if you've got a family member who has a drug problem or a drinking problem, they're abusive, they're unpredictable, all those kinds of things where you just don't feel safe in your own home, that's got to change. And so I, I walked her through the process of doing her due diligence prior to this, making sure she has all of her legal documents in hand, making sure she's done all of her homework as far as the memory care center for her mother, all, all the things that need to happen, quietly go behind the scenes, get all of that done, and then make the appointment to confront her brother and say, this is what we're going to do. And she's actually offered a pretty generous thing for her brother who is basically penniless, but he's not a young guy. Uh, so he, he's got some, some real issues from drug use and everything else. And she's made a pretty generous offer, but it's non-negotiable. She doesn't feel safe and she doesn't need to have him encroaching upon her life. Now, how many of you all have something like that going on where you just don't feel safe? What do you do about it? And the decisions are not going to be easy. There's just no way around it. It's going to be a hard decision. But you serve yourself well when you've done all of your due diligence. Make sure you have all the legal documentation that you need. And if you can't afford a lawyer, there are services out there. I subscribe to one myself that provides me legal care, you know, for an easy monthly fee, less than 30 bucks a month. And it's full access to a full attorney firm, anything I need, power of attorney, all that kind of stuff. But all of those things, you do yourself a favor by having your homework done so that when you're having to make that hard decision, you're not just doing this in a vacuum. You're, you're not just doing it arbitrarily. You've got X, Y, Z laid out for you. And then when she sits down with her brother to have this conversation, I recommended strongly that she have someone there, uh, potentially from law enforcement, to be there and, and you know, pay them, you know, off-duty cop, something, to be there to protect her to keep this thing from going off the rails. If you need to serve with a uh, some type of restraining order or whatever, there's, you know, it's best to put that in the hands of law enforcement. When you are dealing with somebody who has a history of drug abuse, any type of substance abuse, it can go sideways really quick. So it's always best that you've done what is necessary for you to be safe. And yes, it's unpleasant. Every bit of this is unpleasant. But it's not as unpleasant as you being assaulted. It's not as unpleasant as you being injured or worse. And that's a very real possibility for many families. 
there's that unstable element in so many families, particularly dealing with substance abuse or mental illness. You're not dealing with a well person. You're dealing with somebody with an impairment by definition. And if they go berserk, what are you going to do? And it's not just like this. This happened to be a case where a woman is dealing with her brother. But I also have a very close friend who's dealing with his sister, who's got a lengthy history of some very, very troubling mental health behaviors. When it comes to violent behavior from somebody abusing alcohol or drugs or somebody with a mental health history, gender is not the factor. The impairment is the factor. And it's important for you to do what is necessary for you to be safe. Okay? Not comfortable, not happy, but safe. Are you safe? And that's why it's important for us to think this way. And then let's also think about what is safe financially. Making sure you know where all the ownership papers are, where all the mortgage information, power of attorney, all of those things, whatever you need, make sure you know where it is. The more you know, the safer you will be because you will have things in order and you can produce them financially so that you're not caught unawares that taxes are up to date, filing for taxes and so forth, that you know that you can talk to medical providers of your loved one, that you've done all the necessary steps for this, that you know where the will is. You know the old statement where there's a will, there's a family member. Well, what if that family member is impaired? As in the case of this woman with her brother, what do you think he wants to do with money? This guy's got a lengthy history of substance abuse. He's jobless and really has been a troubled soul for a very long time that has left a trail of carnage in his wake. Giving him unfettered access to money just because the legal documents weren't in place, is that a good idea? So these are things that we can do to help us feel safe and then also safe spiritually. Where are you going with this spiritually? When I think of safety, I always think of Proverbs 18.10. God's name is a place of protection. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Good people can run there and be safe in the name of the Lord. But what does that even mean? And when we anchor ourselves in God and trusting in His provision for us, He gives us that clarity of thought, that that calmness to be able to make these important decisions. Remember last week's program, I talked about making decisions from a place of calmness and safety. You belong to God. If you're in Christ, you belong to Him. And you can make those decisions in great safety. You don't have to uh, be freaking out. You don't have to be in any way uh, out of a sense of desperation and panic. That's not of God. Who is the author of confusion? And I think this is the this is the path for us as believers, that we can make those decisions from a place of calmness and trust in His provision, His wisdom, His insights. All of those things play into our decision-making. 
What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Here it is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That sounds an awful lot like safety, doesn't it? You make much better decisions when you feel safe and when you recognize that you're safe in Christ. So for those who are struggling with physical safety because of these kinds of things, let's start with their spiritual safety and then let that extend to all our decision-making. Get your legal documents in a row and if you have to get law enforcement involved, you've already done your homework. That's the way we do it. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Peter Rosenberger, he's been a caregiver since the Cold War. Are you in need of hope, encouragement, and the love of God? I'm Pastor Salem. I'd like to invite you to join us for the Christian Worship Hour. For decades, I've been teaching the Word of God so that people everywhere can experience the love and power of a personal relationship with our Lord. Tune into this station this weekend and prepare to be blessed and encouraged by another life-changing message. Learn more about our program at ChristianWorshipHour.com. Do you feel like you're in control of your finances, or is it more like the other way around? Sometimes all it takes is a little help and encouragement, and we've got just the thing. It's Money Wise with Rob West. Every weekday morning from 9 to 10 Central, Rob and his money-savvy friends and colleagues help you stay in control of your finances. And it's not from the world's perspective, but from God's. Don't miss Money Wise with Rob West every weekday morning from 9 to 10 Central, right here on AFR. Welcome to Apologetics with Carl Kirby. We're talking about the Cambrian Explosion. And remember, that refers to the layer of rock that shows massive amounts of diverse, fully formed fossils with no transitional forms in the rock layers just beneath. These creatures appear suddenly, just like the Bible account claims. In a stunning admission, Charles Darwin stated, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. In other words, Darwin is saying that if there were fully formed organisms without any transitional forms to precede them, which there is, then the theory of evolution completely falls apart, which it does. It makes more sense to believe that all things were created by him and for him, as Colossians 1 says. So, what did Darwin say when no transitional forms were discovered in his lifetime? Well, we'll address that next time. For more resources, go to hotels.net and stay bold. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberg, and this is the program for you as a family caregiver. We're so glad that you're with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. If you want to send us your comments, your thoughts, things that you'd like to talk about, things that you'd like to hear us talk about here on the program, we'd love to hear from you. I'm always looking for artists who are not only really good at what they do musically, but bring an understanding of the caregiver world, musical artist and visual artist, but it's hard to do visual artists on the radio. 
So I'm looking for yeah. musical artists, and I have been introduced to a lovely lady, Pam Weston. Uh, she's originally from Knoxville, Tennessee, and <clears throat> lived in Nashville about as long as Gracie and I lived in Nashville, and she moved there in 86, and she has been involved, deeply involved in the music community there for many years as a songwriter, as a worship leader, as a wonderful artist. And she also understands the journey of being a caregiver and wrote a, an amazing song about it. We're going to play that for you uh, later on in the program. But I wanted just to introduce you to Pam Weston. Pam, I'm so glad to have you here. It is great to be with you, Peter. Thank you so much for uh, recognizing the need to recognize all the caregivers out there that so take care of one or both parents as uh folks age and they need the help and love and care of family and friends and uh, I'm just glad to be on the show. Well, we are thrilled to have you. It's tell me a little bit about your musical background before we get into your caregiving journey. Talk, when did you start writing songs and performing and singing? I started I taught myself to play piano when I was 7 years old. And I wrote my very first song to the Lord, which was called I Owe It All to You, when I was 14. And I actually started playing professional music in Knoxville, where I grew up on Saturday night at a radio show called the Tennessee Valley Barn Dance. And I was the staff piano player, and I would sing back up, and every now and then I'd get to sing a solo, and uh, it was such fun. And my dad had passed away um, very early, um, and uh, I don't mind telling you, he took his life at age 52. So that was mm. that was hard. And my mother um, cared for me, and I have an older sister, and they rallied around me uh, and encouraged me in my music. And I started playing. Uh, at that barn dance on Saturday night, and uh, it was so much fun. Of course, I wasn't able to drive yet. My mother would take me, and then I went on through the years. I had my own country band called Country Gold when I was about 18, and then from there, God just you know opened doors in country music. That was I had a love of country music at that time, and I had gospel roots deep and had listened to a lot of gospel music, but the doors were opening at that season in country music. And I went on to play for Bill Anderson, who was nicknamed Whispering Bill Anderson. Yeah, Whispering Bill Anderson. Whispering Bill, yes, on the Grand Ole Opry. And, you know, what fun. God has allowed me to realize so many dreams. And that was a dream of mine from a little bitty girl to be on the Opry. And uh, so I played piano, sang back up for Bill, opened his shows with a couple of songs, and was part of his po-folks band, the only girl in the po-folks band at that time, all guys. And we traveled and did, you know, fairs, the Opry, uh, Wheeling Jamboree, so many things that were fun. And then uh, years later, God started closing the doors in country. And my ministry is 14, will be 14 years old in January of singing at churches and, uh, very importantly, retirement communities and nursing homes. Well, when you write, you know, and you, you, you continue to write and you continue to play, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the thought process of a songwriter. What does that look like for you? Because there are a lot of people in this audience who, who love music and love to write and they feel somewhat stunted or they feel like, well, I'll never get anybody to cut it. But 
back me up on this, Pam. Sure. And be, the the object of writing songs is not to get a cut. The object of writing songs is to express something that's in your heart. Fair statement? Exactly. Very fair statement. I took a songwriting course years ago, and their main line was, write what you know. And that's what I do in my songwriting, and um, I continue to do that. I just remember that. And, of course, Mama Can't Remember came out of writing what I knew with my mom and having lived her. She had a journey of 16 and a half years with Alzheimer's. She developed it at age 80, and she lived in 96 and a half. Mm. And uh, so I was, I, I wrote that song. Uh, Glenn Bates was my co-writer. His mother had also had Alzheimer's, and she had passed at that time, but my mother was still living. We were able to uh, write the song together of things that our mother tells us about. And my sister and I started keeping a journal because, of course, as folks lose their memory, it's very important to jot those things down, you know, for them. And we started keeping a journal for my mom, and uh, we moved my mother. My mother was Charlotte Ruth Curitan, born Charlotte Ruth Curitan up in Jefferson City, Tennessee, right above Knoxville. She was one of 12 children. She was the baby and then the last to pass five years ago. And we were able to do a video uh, of the song. Uh, friends of mine came and videoed the song. And Gordon Moat, dear friend of I, mine in, in the industry, yeah. uh, Gordon produced the song Mama Can't Remember and produced my last CD. I'm fixing to work with him again uh, on my next song, and I'm so excited about that. Just found out that this weekend. Well, let, me, and, let me ask you a question. Did your mom go by Charlotte or Charlotte Ruth? She went by Charlotte. Okay, because yeah, yeah. my wife is... She's a, my wife is a ninth generation Tennessean. She came from up there, way up our in, the, okay. in uh, Elizabethan area. That's where her family has deep roots. And, sure, and, they used to call that E Town. Well, yeah. and she's that when you can always tell when her family's, you know, talking to. I mean, when her family's on the phone, they're Mary Grace, Mary Grace, because I, she, her, you know, Gracie's her name, but Mary Grace, Mary Grace. <laughs> That's that Southern right, double went name. By two names, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. But Mother went by Charlotte, and she encouraged me in my music, you know, all of those years. Like I say, she would take me when I wasn't old enough to drive to play music on Saturday nights, you know, and just always saying, Pam, you just keep singing. And uh, God allowed her to be able to hear uh, my first and second CD. She was still living, and she would uh, be in the car, and my sister would be driving her around, and they would be listening to my CDs. Um, my mother lived with my sister and brother-in-law for 12 and a half years. They had the space. They talked about it, and they wanted to move her in with them. I was out on the road all the time traveling, and it was better situation for my mom. And uh, they had her in their home for 12 and a half years. And two or three nights a week, I got to go over and feed my mom and help with bathing when I was in town and help so much spend time with her when I would be, you know, off the road. And I cherish all of that time. And I have a wonderful sister and brother-in-law that came alongside me. As you did all those things and you would, you would go out and come back and you would see the slow decline. How did you, hand, how did you process that? Yeah. How did you handle that? Cause your sister saw it all the time, but you would come in two or three days at a time and co then go back out and come back in and you could, you could see it declining. Right. How did you handle that? It, 
was hard, Peter. I won't kid you. I would see the decline. And she was so joyful. And as, as my sister used to call her, she's just this sweet little lady and uh, loves everyone. And she'd look up in the sky when you'd have her outside. We'd take her out on the back patio to sit and she'd say, God made those clouds. But I would go home many nights from my sister's back to my house and I'd have tears, you know, in the car and just say, God, I know that um, you're in charge and you've got my mom. And uh, of course, later on, my prayer was that I wouldn't be on the road when she would pass. And I was not on the road. My sister and I were right there holding her hand and God gave that to us. You know, he, he, I believe he allowed her to live to 96 and a half versus losing my dad when he was 52. Mm. You know, God is so good and he's been so gracious to us. And he never says that there won't be hard times, but he always promises that he'll be with us. So I'm, I'm grateful for my sweet mom. Well, back to when you, your, your writing process, you kept the journal, you kept all these thoughts. When you, when you write, do you sit down deliberately to write a song or does it something just hit you? You jot it down and then you go back to it a little later. You sit at the piano. How does that work for you? Late, lately, um, I'm blessed to have a baby grand piano in my living room. And it's fun to play on that piano uh, because I'm out on other people's pianos a lot. So I actually make a deliberate effort now, deliberate effort to sit down and take an idea and start writing with an idea and being a piano player, you know, it's, it's a blessing that I can sit down and cause I do, you know, music and melody with mama can't remember. We both had the idea and I did all the music for mama can't remember. I think Glenn did the first verse. I did the second verse. So we literally, you know, co-wrote that song, but we got together for a writing session and it came out of that. When I, when I have a co-writer, it'll usually work with that or one or the other will have an idea and then you just sit and you just start throwing out ideas, even crazy ideas, even stuff that rhymes that makes you laugh, you know, but you have to create the time for all the songwriters out there. You have to create time to write. That's one of the things you really, you have to set aside that time. Well, indeed. And do you usually do the lyric first or do you come up with the melody first or what, how does that work for you? I usually do the lyric first and then and putting together. I might have an idea of the melody, but I usually do the lyric. I have something, like you said, that I want to say. I want to write what I know. And uh, most of the things that I've been writing lately and, and have been demoing uh, have been life experiences, you know, either mine or other people's, you know, too. Uh you can, uh, it doesn't always have to be about you. Somebody might give you an idea of something they're going through. And then you sit down at the piano, you know, and write that down too. And uh, I try to write mostly what I know from my experience, but you also know if you have someone else that's telling you something and you might have, you know, an idea or a word or something. And it's, it's a God-given process. I give him the credit for every single thing that I do. Well, I, I love hearing that, and I want to encourage as many people listening, that if you have any desire to write a song, if you think that you even want to write a song to, to, to process out what's going on in your life as a caregiver, take heart from what Pam says. Don't try to write a hit song. Try to write an authentic song. Write right. something that's from your heart. Write something yes. that you know. And we're going to talk some more, too. We're talking yes. with Pam Weston, her 
website is pamwestonministries.com. Wonderful songwriter. Wait till you hear her song. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Peter Rosenberger. Have you ever helped somebody walk for the first time? I've had that privilege many times through our organization, Standing with Hope. When my wife, Gracie, gave up both of her legs following this horrible wreck that she had as a teenager, and she tried to save them for years, and it just wouldn't work out, and finally she relinquished them and thought, wow, this is it. I mean, I don't have any legs anymore. What can God do with that? And then she had this vision for using prosthetic limbs as a means of sharing the gospel, to put legs on her fellow amputees. And that's what we've been doing now since 2005 with Standing With Hope. We work in the West African country of Ghana, and you can be a part of that through supplies, through supporting team members, through supporting the work that we're doing over there. You could designate a limb. There's all kinds of ways that you could be a part of giving the gift that keeps on walking at standingwithhope.com. Would you take a moment to go out to standingwithhope.com and see how you can give they go walking and leaping and praising God. You can be a part of that at standingwithhope.com. When God warns, we'd better listen because time runs out. Through Noah, God warned a hundred years of the impending flood. The people heard, they considered, they rejected, and they died. God repeatedly warned Israel. They heard, they ignored, they suffered. God's been warning America. America doesn't care. Do you? Hello, I'm Sam Rohr with another Stand in the Gap Minute. What's the result of continually ignoring God's true warnings? In Isaiah 5:24, God says that God's love will be turned to anger, His blessings to judgment, murder and death of the people will increase, enemy nations will threaten to attack, and ultimately will attack suddenly, overwhelmingly, and all trusted defenses will fail. It happened to Israel. It will happen to America if we don't soon change our way. It's past time to look to God, repent, and beg the mercy of God. While God's full of mercy, His justice will prevail. Join with us to communicate God's truth at StandInTheGapMedia.org. He will be strong to deliver me safe, and the joy of the Lord is my strength. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. That is my wife with Russ Taff. And that record was produced by myself and a guy named Chris Latham. And I went to uh, college with Chris, and we've been friends for a very long time, and he's worked on a lot of music with me. He and I wrote the theme song for this program. And Chris is who introduced me to our guest today. We're talking with Pam Weston, pamwestonministries.com. Com, Pam Weston Ministries.com. Wonderful songwriter, singer, been around a long time with great music. Now, I, I, let, me, let me back up. She's not been around a long time. She's a very young lady who has the sound of experience. <laughs> the sound of experience. She has not been around a long time. Let me correct myself on that. Pam, I'm so intro. I'm digging That's my way out of that one, Pam. Thank I'm, you so much. <laughs> Chris told me about you, and I just uh, I fell in love with this song that you are going to share with us today, Mama Can't Remember, uh, about your journey with your mother uh, who had Alzheimer's for 16 years. Last question before we get into yeah. this song. How did your trust in God and your faith in God and your your thoughts on God's provision change as you watched as you watched your mom go through this now you had this terrible tragedy with your father when you were very young 
And then you and your mother obviously had yeah. this incredibly close relationship, you and your sister as well. But as you watched her decline like this, yeah. how did your faith and your strength in the Lord grow through that process? You know, whenever we're in tough times, God gives us the wonderful gift of looking back to see what all he's brought us through. And I knew that he had brought us through the time with my dad. It was a hard time before, you know, his suicide and uh, continued to be afterwards. But he was so providing for me. God allowed me to go to the University of Tennessee in Knoxville on a Kiwana scholarship. I would have never been able to go. And I had always wanted to go to college. So God brings you through things, and when you're in the tough times, you look back and you remember. And during the time with seeing my mother's decline and knowing she was able to live on her own with Alzheimer's the first four years. And as so many of the folks being caregivers out there with their own parents, uh, you'll have those times of laughter when they say something, you know, that is so funny. And you cherish those times, or they forget something, or they misplace. My mother was always hiding her purse right when we were getting ready to go somewhere. And we would laugh about that, and we would look for her purse because she wouldn't get in the car unless she had her purse with her. So you have those times also. And God is providing that laughter, those fun times with mom all of this time during the decline when she was losing her memory and then when she had the diagnosis that it was full-blown Alzheimer's and then the different stages. And God was faithful at every stage. He was faithful to send uh, people around us that could help us uh, with different needs, with different equipment when she had to go to the wheelchair, you know, when she had to go to the walker, then the wheelchair, then she had to be on oxygen uh, for a long period of time, and uh, she was having many strokes, and, you know, her speech was declining. So all the different times, we cherished the time that we had with her, and my sister was wonderful, you know, with my mom, with, with mom living with them, and my brother-in-law was funny, and he would come in, he knew my mother liked dollar bills, and he'd come in and hand a dollar bill to my mom, you know, just funny little things like that. And God gives us the grace to receive everything that he is bringing us. And even during the hardest times, God was with us, and we saw that, Peter. As you go out to senior centers and all the other places that you go to, when you play this song, what happens to the audience? A lot of times folks are in tears because they're remembering. And a lot of times many people will come up after, say, a church concert, and they will come up and say, you know, I can so relate to that. And uh, it brings back good memories, you know, for my mom uh, or my father that may have had it, you know, just dealing with Alzheimer's, you know, and dealing with being caregivers uh, it's, it's a lot of that. A lot of people will be in tears. A lot of people will come up smiling and say, oh, it gave me such great memories from time with my mom. And also, I would encourage folks to watch the video. The video is on YouTube, and it's also on my website. Well, and I'm going to, I'm going to put that on the website, my website, and I'm also going to put it in the podcast as well because I want people to be able to uh, 
Because I don't think you can listen to this song and not be affected. If you've been a caregiver for any length of time, I don't think you can watch this or listen to this song without being affected. It's a beautiful song, Pam. You've done a a remarkable job. And and who's the fellow that wrote it with you? Glenn Bates from right here in Nashville. Well, you and Glenn did a a marvelous job on this. And I know that as you play this, uh, you you can tell you put your heart into it. And I love your voice. You have a, you have a wonderful voice. Uh, Just such, it just takes you back into, into Nashville that used to be, you know, I mean, you know what I mean by that? When I say that the Nashville that used to be. I've been around a while, I guess. As somebody said the other day, and I usually say I've been doing this a while and I'm so grateful because I always wanted to live in Nashville and do my music, and God has allowed me to do that. So thank you for those kind words. I give him the credit for anything and everything, any door that he's ever opened. or And he was with us when we wrote this song, and, and I, I pray that it will touch a lot of folks' lives. And, uh, you know, sometimes you think uh, God's done with a song in your life, you know, kind of, because it's been a little bit, and I'm... I'm grateful that uh, that you're interested, and I just appreciate you having me more than you know. By the way, when I say the Nashville that used to be, those of us who lived in Nashville went there in the in the early '80s and and even prior. There was a sound, a, a yeah. Music City sound that was there that it, it didn't have a lot of right. overproduced stuff. It was just it was so heart earthiness. Uh, I don't know how to describe it any better than that. But this is the way you sing. Well, I'm really what uh, pleased. Well, I'm. It, it's really that good. I, I'm. I'm. I'm very, very moved by this, and I'm just pleased to be able to play this for the audience today. So I wanted you all to hear and to meet Pam. PamWestonMinistries.com. PamWestonMinistries.com. The song is called "Mama Can't Remember." Now, if you're listening live on the radio right now and not on the podcast later. Um, just kind of pull over somewhere if you're in the car, because <laughs> you might you might need to pull over. <laughs> yeah. But here it is, My Pam. Thank you yeah. so much, Pam, for being a part of the program. Here's Mama Can't Remember. Thank you so much, Peter. God bless you. Instead of hanging on that swing set, I should have been hanging on her every word. Mama was trying to teach me Everything she ever learned But I was busy playing And I didn't really care But she kept pounding me with lessons Covering me with prayer Forget. 
because she was who she was. I'm a product of her teaching, a reflection of her love. Though it's hard to watch her slip away, I know her soul is safe. I can still hear her say Don't forget to brush your teeth Say your prayers before you go to sleep And remember, God watches over you When people say he doesn't care Don't forget that he's right there What they're saying The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.